0: Good morning, and please open up your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, and uh, when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible for you. If you just raise your hand, one of our ushers will give you one. But We're opening up our Bibles, and what a privilege we have to do so. Uh, I want to tell you that my aim this morning as we look at Lamentations 3 is to, in part, rescue Thanksgiving from what it's become. Since this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, uh, for many, uh, it's just the beginning of the Christmas shopping season. Uh, for many, it's just about uh, food and football and family, Dallas Cowboys on, Sun- on, uh, on, on Thanksgiving and all that. Um, for others, it's just a, an excuse to unbutton the top button of your pants because you have to allow more food to be put in. That's When I was a kid, that's what I always did is... Had to unbutton, I had to eat so much, then unbutton the top button, and, and all was well. Um, for others, it's just a day off, you know, it's, it's a couple days off, and it's just a, a breather. But uh, God's got something for us, and I hope that, that your perspective on, on giving thanks to God, on living with gratitude, will be transformed as we, as we look at his word this morning. We're going to read Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Lord God, as we look at your word this morning, we are mindful that this is your word, not man's. That your word is perfect, that your word is true, and that you are here with us, and we pray, Lord, that, that we would be very aware of your steadfast love that never ceases, very aware of your mercies that never come to an end, expressing our belief that your faithfulness is great, and maybe most significantly that you are our portion, that you are all we have and all we need. And therefore, we hope in you. I pray, Lord, that those things would be true in us. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning and that your will would be done. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Lamentations 3, 22 to 24. Now, for a long time, when I was a kid, I didn't become a believer till I was in college, but I, was, I brought up in church that sang the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so I knew the song, but it wasn 't until I was almost twenty years old that I, I opened up my Bible and I, I read these verses, and I was blown away that that these verses were in the, in the Bible that that song was 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 based on these on these verses, and uh, we 're focusing today on the faithfulness of God on on how God is faithful, and to 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 be faithful means to be true it, it means to be able to be counted on and to be solid and trustworthy and always coming through and that's god to now to be known as unfaithful is is to be marked as untrustworthy and and those who have been or are unfaithful find it hard to overcome that label because it sticks unfaithful and it has to do with trust but once trust is broken it's sometimes nearly impossible to regain it the issue of lamentations is that Israel's unfaithfulness to God led to Jerusalem's downfall. God had fixed His covenant love on Israel. God had chosen her. He had betrothed her to Himself. His choice not based on past or foreseen faithfulness or performance on her part, but solely on His matchless grace. He he chose Israel. He laid out the stipulations. He, He marked out the boundaries. And Israel transgressed time and time again it was not simply a one-time lapse which would have been reason enough to reject them it was serial unfaithfulness of the most heinous kind it was a continual rejection of their king a continual rejection of their sovereign and God kept reaching out to his beloved through the prophets based solely on his unilateral love and promises and still God's people continued to reject him it is shambles of their situation. And so Jerusalem fell in 586 BC, and with it the hopes of a nation gone wrong. And, and so the writer of lamentations, by the way, that word means loud wailing, loud cries, lamentations in, in Greek, it comes from the Greek. And it's the writer rightly laments. This is a dirge. This is a funeral song. For a city that fell due to the sins of her people. That's what Lamentations is. Real downer, isn't it? It's, you know, it's Thanksgiving time, and we're looking at Lamentations. What's going on? Well, Lamentation is the saddest book in the Bible. The Hebrew title of the book comes from the exclamation that is seen at the beginning of chapter 1 and 2 and 4. And it's, it's the word how. We see this in English. How. It is uh, how lonely the city that was full of people. Verse 1 of chapter 1. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And verse 1 of chapter 4. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold has changed. And this, this word how is an exclamation. And it expresses dismay. It expresses sadness. The writer most likely Jeremiah was so overwhelmed by grief over the destruction of Jerusalem and the sin that caused it and the suffering that resulted. And so he can barely contain himself. He's literally singing the blues. That's what he's doing. He's singing the blues. And most likely he was a witness to the siege of Jerusalem, the famine, the flight of the army and the king, the burning of the palace burning of the temple, burning of the city, the breaching of the city walls, the exile of the people, the looting of the temple of God, the execution of its leaders. Most likely he had witnessed all of this. He probably had seen the city walls fall, as well as its towers and its homes and its palace and temple, and he was reliving the the awful memory of that scene, That awful experience as as he wrote. He was stuck in a moment he couldn't get out of. He was consumed by the somberness of the situation. And he recounts with anguish how he felt as he saw the judgment foretold 800 years earlier through Joshua. For 40 years, Jeremiah had prophesied to the people of coming judgment But the people continually rejected God's word. And so when judgment finally came on the unbelieving, unrepentant people, how did Jeremiah respond? He responded in sorrow and compassion for his countrymen. A true shepherd. Now we must read Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 to 24 in the context of all of chapter 3, but also the whole book of Lamentations and really the idea is that that sin brings misery and, and that's what Jeremiah is recounting the misery brought on by sin in chapter 1 he appeals to God for deliverance he owns that God is righteous you see that in Lamentations 1.18 that God is righteous in what has come about there has been rebellion against his word their captivity was of their own making They had no one to comfort them. You'll see in chapter 1 and verse 2 and 17 and 21, there are no comforters for Israel. Moving to chapter 2, they were swallowed up, verse 5 says. Swallowed up. God had become their opponent due to their sin against him. He was right in doing what he did and he fulfilled his word. There's no argument with the judgments of God and those afflicted due to their unrepentant hearts. But he appeals to God's compassion. In chapter 3, where we're at today Bitterness was their lot Look at verse th- 15 Verse 15 He has filled me with bitterness And he has sated me with wormwood He's made my teeth grind on gravel And even that Was not as bad as it could have been Chapter 4 The sins of the leaders were acknowledged The, the prophets and the priests That should have led them righteously But had led them blindly into error away from god and into his judgments and therefore they were as verse 11 of chapter 4 says they were devoured you'd see these strong words devoured and bitterness and swallowed up and no comfort that was what jeremiah was talking about chapter 5 is a prayer for mercy knowing that all their woes were due to their own sin god was righteous in it they could not argue with god but they could plead for mercy that's the setting of jeremiah what he was speaking of here in Lamentations. They had no rest, as it says in verses 7 and 15 of chapter 5. And and then he says in verse 19 of chapter 5 that, You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. God rules in the midst of that. And so coming back to chapter 3 where we're residing together today, bad as things were, they could have been worse if not for God's faithful mercies. If not for God's faithfulness. In the midst of the smoke and, and the fog rises verses 22 and 24 of Lamentations 3. Out of the ashes come one of the most beautiful, pristine statements of faith found in the entire Bible. These verses are the high point of Lamentations. Everything ascends to it or descends from it. It's like a, a, a diamond that comes from blackest coal. God's glory shines brightest in the deepest pit made by human sin these verses highlight god's faithfulness and in them we see the heart and the anguish of a man who loves god and his people and we see reasons to praise god let me point out three reasons to praise god rationale for returning thanks to god for expressing our gratitude to him but i want us to take a running start and begin at verse 15 in chapter 3 where it says that he has filled me with bitterness he has sated me with wormwood he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes my soul is bereft of peace there's no peace for my soul he says I have forgotten what happiness is can you imagine I've forgotten what happiness is he says and so in verse 18 he says so I say my endurance has perished so has my hope from the Lord he's he's in the deepest pit He says in verse 19 remember my affliction and my wanderings the wormwood and the gall my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me he's as low as he can get but then he says in verse 21 but but i'm remembering something in fact i'm calling something to my mind In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the anguish, in the midst of the distress, I'm remembering something. Wait, so I do have hope. I do have hope. He says in verse 22, the steadfast love. Here's what I'm remembering. Wait, there is hope. The hope hasn't perished. Here's what I'm remembering. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The first reason to praise God is His covenant love. His covenant love in verse 22 it says the Lord's loving kindnesses it's steadfast love it's mercies it's it's that Greek it's that Hebrew word that is used almost 250 times in the Old Testament has said it, it refers to God's gracious love it, it's it's a huge word and it says that 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 love that that mercy that loving kindness that steadfast love never ceases it It is never completed. It is never finished. It's a well that does not run dry. And that Hebrew word that's used almost 250 times in the Old Testament means much more than only one thing. Most of our words mean one thing, or or when we're speaking, we mean one thing. Uh, Sometimes we'll mean more than one thing. Um, but, But here, this word means much more than one or two things even. It's a word that captures and combines the ideas of love mercy grace goodness faithfulness forgiveness truth compassion all those things wrapped up in that word that god's covenant love enables our love for him that we love because he first loved us that that is reason to praise him it's reason to praise him the second reason to praise god that we see is in verse also in verse 22 It's His compassionate mercies. It says that His mercies, His compassions, never fail. They don't fail. They're never, again, completed or finished. They're never consumed. They're never destroyed. A lot of things that we have fail. We fail. God's mercy never fails. The the job of, of His applying mercy to us is never done. His compassions are always at work. They are, as the writer says, new every morning. Brand new every morning. Every day there's a fresh supply. The supply is never ending because God is never ending. God's mercy alleviates the suffering we endure due to sin. And that's reason to praise him. Verse 23 highlights the third reason to praise God. It's his consistent character. It says in verse 23... Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. The Hebrew word there, emunia, uh, is, 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 means firmness, steadfastness, fidelity. It's, faithfulness is a covenant word. It is a covenant word tied to keeping or breaking of covenantal commitments. So when we say God is faithful, we are saying, we mean, we ought to mean that he is everything that faithfulness entails and that he does everything that faithfulness requires. He comes through on it to the nth degree. There is, there is no shadow of doubt about God's faithfulness. And verse 23 says that his faithfulness is great. Great. Now, usually we think in terms of status when we think of the word great. You know, Alexander the Great and things like that. People like that. When we think of uh, great in terms of ability or, or performance or, or even in terms of Quality. You say, well, this, that was beyond anything we could imagine as great. That was great. But better than I could do or think. Wow, great. Far beyond anything. Amazing, awesome, great. But the Hebrew word for great here doesn't refer to that. See, the Hebrew word for great refers to quantity, not quality. Quantity. It is a quantitative word meaning much many abundant quality is, is here that's, that's an, a, a given this is not you know cheap stuff in bulk it's not just a big mess of stuff that's, that's really cheap but you got a lot of it Okay. this is the finest stuff imaginable great is your faithfulness means that God's faithfulness is plentiful and in abundance there's a lot of it to go around There are mass quantities of of God's faithfulness available. Our issue, like Israel's, is our unfaithfulness to God. Cosmic treason of gargantuan proportions. It's it's what leads to our downfall. Our sin leads to our downfall. Our, Our unfaithfulness to God... But in the lives of those who believe, God intervenes by grace. John Stott says that the way God chooses to forgive sinners and reconcile them to himself is fully consistent with his own character. It is not only that he must overthrow and disarm the devil in order to rescue his captives. It is not even that he must satisfy his law, his honor, his justice, or the moral order. It is that he must satisfy himself in satisfying himself, appeasing his holy and just wrath. God keeps his promises. He always acts consistently with his character. He is trustworthy, and he keeps his promises because who he is, who he is, is true. And this is reason to praise him. To say that God is faithful is to admit that we need what he promises, too. We need what he promises, 2 Peter 1.4 says that God's promises are precious promises. They are very precious promises. We can rely on God's promises, but what are some of the things that God promises? Let's let's look at some. First of all, God promises to punish sin. We see it back in in the garden in, in Genesis 3 and verse 15. We see it in James and in Hebrews and all through the Bible, but God promises to execute his wrath against sin and in faithfulness he punished sin at the cross we should be glad that God keeps his promises to punish sin because it it also means that he keeps his promises to save those who believe Acts 16.31 says believe in the Lord Jesus you will be saved see God is a rescuing God, God is, is faithful in providing what is needed to those who will believe and he gives them what is needed to believe and be saved Faithfulness is is what he is. He is faithful who calls, and he brings it to pass. What what he calls, what he orders, what he he ordains, he brings to pass. And as faithful as Jesus is to save all those who believe, and you can just go to John 3.16 for that, he is equally as faithful to judge those who do not believe. You can go to John 3.18 for that. And to do otherwise would be inconsistent with his holy and unchanging character. So we ought to be thankful that God keeps his promises to punish sin and to save those who believe. What else does God promise? God promises to forgive those who confess their sins. First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We feel dirty, but God has cleansed us. Later on in chapter 3 of Lamentations, in verse 39, there's a key word, why. And it says, why should should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Verse 40 says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. There's a repentant heart that is being addressed. Verse 41, let us lift up our hearts and hands... To God in heaven That's to confess our sins So that confession can also Be the idea of, of praise included Let us lift up our hearts And our hands to God in heaven There's a dependence being expressed As we do that As we lift our hearts to heaven And lift our hands to heaven We are expressing our dependence upon God And it says in verse 42 That here's what is to be said When we lift our hearts and our hands To God in heaven we have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. But you see, as, as the scriptures tell us that those who, who, who repent, there is assurance of forgiveness. See, they hadn't repented of their sins. But the repentant is assured of forgiveness because God is faithful and God promises to do that. God promises also to answer prayer. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 call to me I will answer you John 15 Jesus speaking of the vine and the branches and he says you ask whatever whatever you whatever you want in my name and I will grant it to you and the idea is not a a selfish asking but according to to his name and he faithfully answers prayer in Jesus name which means according to who Jesus is for the sake of his name, he answers prayer. God also promises to be with us. Exodus 33 and verse 14, when Moses was so distraught over the sins of the people, and he was basically crying out to God, saying, "I don't, we can't go further, we can't go on. And God says, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. You can go on, because I'm with you. Jesus, after He rose from the dead and before He ascended to the Father, in Matthew twenty-eight and verse twenty, he says, "Lo, I am with you always, always." Hebrews thirteen five says, "Never will He leave us; never will He forsake us." That's a promise that we can cling to, because it clings to us. His presence is assured. What else does God promise? God promises to to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that in John sixteen. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit once he went back to the Father and all who believe are indwelt by the Spirit of God. As Romans 8 tells us, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Jesus said in John 16, it's to your advantage that I go because if I do not go, then the the helper will not come, but I will send the helper and he's going to lead you into all truth. It's a promise. God promises to provide for us Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need you have, God will supply. We always have to distinguish between needs and wants. But every need you have, God will supply. And to those who lack it and ask, he'll give wisdom. James 1.5. He'll give protection. He'll give protection even from temptation for first corinthians 10 13 no temptation that's overtaken us but such as is common to man but god is what faithful he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able but he will with the temptation provide the way of escape also that we can endure it that's what god will do i can say a lot about what god promises but i'll just give you one more jesus promises to come and take us home home We'll talk a little bit more about home in a, in a few minutes, but John 14. Let's look there. John chapter 14 and verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you, you do know him. You have seen him. Revelation 22 and verse 20, Jesus says, I, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly, Jesus says, and maybe not as quickly as we would hope. You know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and you know how it is. You're in the fast food line, and you're waiting for your food, and it doesn't come in two minutes, and so you want it for free. You know how it is, kids, when you're waiting for your mom and dad to come home or to, to give you the thing they promised, and they haven't come through yet, and, and so you cross your arms and you walk around because they've told you not to keep asking. You know what it's like to wait. It's like to not get what's being waited for. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Now, maybe not in the time that we think, but in his perfect time. Jesus is coming to take his chosen one's home to heaven, our our true home. Now, there is much more that can be said about God's faithfulness and keeping his promises, but I think this should be sufficient for now. We need to move on. Let's go to verse 24 of Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 24. If if the first two verses were a statement of fact, then this is a statement of faith. If the facts are that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end, and they're new every morning, and his faithfulness is great, abundant, then here's the here's the statement of faith. The Lord is my portion. Portion's interesting. Uh, we Americans like to eat more than is necessary remember being on a, I think I mentioned this to you before, but I remember being on a mission trip in India, and um, one of the men said, we only eat what is necessary, as I was on my second helping. We only eat what is necessary, but we eat more than necessary, so when we think portion, we think it's got to be a huge portion, right? The Lord is my portion. That word literally means my tract, my territory, what I've got, what I can call my own. The Lord is my portion, my portion. It's personal and it's, 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 it's it's a, there's a sense of ownership that God has given himself to the writer. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Shadows, Psalm 16, 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, what I have. Psalm 73 and verse 26: My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We're always running around getting, trying to get something, aren't we? And as soon as you get it, very soon afterwards, you realize, well, that didn't satisfy my soul. That wasn't all that that hot after all. But then you go r- run after something else. You and I both do it. We do it often. And we come back and come to our senses. And Jeremiah here says, uh, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. It's the idea that we we can have hope because God is all we have. And and I guess we have to sometimes say, really? Really? God is all we have? Even the the poorest among us, even the the person with the least possessions among us is so so well off but This is the cry of a burdened soul For true security Remember the context Don't airlift it out so soon Wait, stay in the context Stay in the, stay in the pain that Jeremiah is expressing it, This is an honest confession of a needy soul And it reflects true reality Burned out buildings People taken away possession's gone God is faithful not feeling it but believing it in Lamentations 3 in these three verses particularly and really in, in, in the entire chapter 3 and, and really as a larger context of the whole book we can find real assurances we can find real assurances based upon our reasons and To praise God, the reasons here to praise God. You think about that reason of of God's covenantal love. We can be sure then that faith is a gift from God that we desperately need. Verse verse 21 in in, in Lamentations 3 says, I'm I'm remembering this, therefore I have hope. And to have hope in the midst of despair is huge. Verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. That's a, a faith. Word. It's, it's those who wait for Him believing. It's the soul that's seeking Him. It's the idea of faith. And the ability to seek comes from God. And, and faith is a disciplined, decision-based exercise. It's not feeling-oriented. We, so many of us live by our feelings, don't we? We just kind of get tossed to and fro here and there because it's just how we feel. Well, if I feel this way, this must be the reality of the situation. But really, often our, our feelings they deceive us we got to remind ourselves of truth god's gifts are good faith is one and it is for thinking feeling real people don't discount your feelings but don't discount facts don't let feelings override facts too many of us are uh, think too much that just because we think it it must be true no just because god says it it is true And if what you are thinking matches up with what God says, then it's true. If it doesn't match, it's not true. God's word is always true. So, based on his covenantal love, we can be sure that faith is a gift from God, and and that's something we need every day. Based on God's compassionate mercy, Lamentations 3 reminds us that repentance is a normal way of life. It's not just for Communion Sunday. It's not just for when you go to camp. It's not just for when you feel really, really bad about your sins. Repentance is the normal way of life for Christians. And again, I'll take you back to verses 39 to 42 in Lamentations 3. Why should any person complain about the punishment of their sins? Test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Lift up your hearts and hands to heaven and admit what you've done before God. That's that's what God desires, what he expects and, and it can also include praise. Interesting thought. But God's mercy grants us repentance. His kindness leads us to confess our sins and turn from them. We can learn to accept that many times disaster is a justified judgment due to people's sinfulness. We always want to look somewhere else. It's so got to be this or that. We always want to see a cause. And sometimes it's just simply just like here in Lamentations. It's because of the people's sin. Because they kept being unfaithful to God. And it's a good thing that God is faithful. If, we re, if we're faithless, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. We're supposed to deny ourselves. He's never going to deny himself. He's not going to do what he calls us to do there. We, we repudiate ourselves. We deny ourselves and turn to him. He will never deny himself. He is faithful. And we can be glad. We can be glad. In Christ's wrath has been removed and grateful, humble repentance is the way of life and lastly because of god's consistent character we can always have hope in jesus the simple idea of hope in jesus even in our darkest hour see verse 24 says the lord is my portion and we're able to say god is my portion all i have is christ and i'm good with that see sin leads to despair god god gives hope The most important thing that can be said about God in this context is that he is more than enough. There is so much of his faithfulness and this speaks to anyone who who feels or has ever felt abandoned or or left alone. If you believe God is always with you, he is your portion. He can be trusted. It enables believers to identify with those who are suffering. That's why we've been focusing on praying for the suffering the persecuted church these last two weeks we should pray for them all the time, we should always pray for the church of Jesus Christ the true church of Jesus Christ that is suffering persecution but God's faithfulness is is great it's abundant, it is in ample supply, it knows no end, it has no end, it's immeasurable it's infinite, it's abundant there's lots of it to meet every need God is merciful and he he wants us to acknowledge that to His praise. But let me just say this. It is important for us, it is significant for us to read Lamentations 3, 22-24 in the context of all of chapter 3 as well as the whole book, but also that it has even a larger context, that we ought to read it in light of one of the Bible's big themes, that of, Exile and homecoming. Thanksgiving is a time when many head home. There are many people even who who live in America who spend billions of dollars every year going back to their homelands. We want to be home. And while Israel was exiled, when Judah was exiled, there was a promised homecoming as well by a, a, a remnant that would survive. And in a way, we're all like like israel exiles longing for our true home we're exiles due to sin and we're meant to live quorum deo and in, in before the face of god in his presence where there is fullness of joy but we rebelled against him and the city was destroyed and paradise was lost and we are now in bondage to decay here on earth and mankind has been wandering as spiritual exiles ever since And only when we turn and admit our wandering and we repent before a holy God can exiles be restored to their true home. And we cannot grasp our true home yet because it's heavenly. So where we live, the the houses and the the households we inhabit, they're just like hotels along the way on a a road trip. They aren't our true abode. You don't make your home there. You You can make your house as fancy as you want, as comfy as you want it's only a waiting room at the end of the day Tim Keller said that Jesus came to bring the human race back home he came and experienced in weakness the exile that we deserved he was expelled from the presence of the father he was thrust out into darkness the uttermost despair of spiritual alienation in our place so that we could have a place he took upon himself the full, full curse of human rebellion, human spiritual homelessness so that we could be welcomed into our true home one day. Jeremiah's weeping over Jerusalem foreshadowed Christ weeping over the same city before he died. We must remember where Lamentations three twenty-two to 24 comes from. So we don't get it wrong and waste an opportunity to see a glimpse of glory in the midst of real life. This is not sitting on a beach, reading a magazine, on vacation, saying, God, you are so faithful to me. This is not, when everything works out the way you were hoping, saying, God, you are so faithful. Now, it is not wrong to do that, and you ought to, we ought to acknowledge God in everything. But that is not what Lamentations 3 is about. And I'll tell you, it is so easy to airlift it out, to airbrush it, Photoshop it into comfy surroundings, into the living room. Thanksgiving feast where we have to unbutton our top button to let more food in. No. This is saying to God, when you are experiencing excruciating pain and the utmost in disappointment or rejection and you don't know how you are going to make it and you have to force yourself to say the words because you don't feel it because circumstances have numbed you to those comfy feelings that we often rely upon This is is you saying to God when you have failed and sinned grievously and all you deserve is wrath but God has held it back from you. You say, God, you are faithful. You're faithful. Your mercy is what has kept me standing. Your faithfulness is what is holding me up and keeping me alive. And I know it would be far worse. And I deserve far worse if not for your mercy which you apply in faithfulness this is saying even if there is still nothing after you say it I have hope because of who God is even if things stay as bad as they seem I will praise you Lord because you are faithful and there is so much of your faithfulness to go around let's pray Lord, we know that it is so easy to focus on what you have given us forgetting what you have not given. And Lord, I know that our perspective on thanksgiving and praise can change if we see it more like the writer who said it's like viewing life's blessings as water in a cup. That we can be discontent and focus on half of the cup that seems empty or gratefully focus on the half that is full. And we know which is better of the two, but we know that these verses in Lamentations should stir in us a richer gratitude than that. That it reminds us first that we actually deserve from God is a full cup of your, your wrath. And that if we were given what we deserved every day, that's what we would have. And we acknowledge that to be handed a completely empty cup from you would be cause enough to be so grateful. And if there were even the tiniest drop of blessing that we would be blown away by your unbelievable kindness to us. But the fact that you have given believers a cup full of every spiritual blessing in Christ with no wrath ought to bring us to our knees. or we are so thankful we are not getting the wrath we deserve and we are overjoyed that we are getting far, far more.